Well, good evening, everybody. Merry Christmas. Thanks uh, so much for sharing a little bit of your Christmas Eve with us here at Genesis Church. So good to see you all. And uh, if you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 1. We're going to go back and forth between Luke 1 and Matthew 1 today. Uh, Luke chapter 1 is, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these on the floor around you. And uh, just a reminder today, if you don't own a Bible or you don't have one at home that you can read very well, take this one with you. It's our gift to you today, uh, considered our Christmas gift. It's page uh, 714 in this Bible, is Luke chapter 1. Uh, I know that we've got a lot of guests and visitors here today. Thanks so much for joining us. I just want to say that you're welcome here. Um, I know we've got a lot of kids in the room. Kids, can I hear you? Kids, are you in the room right now? Kids? Yeah, a few of you. Hey, it's almost Christmas. Can't you do better than that? Kids, are you in the room? Yeah, okay, good. So kids, when you came in, hopefully you got a bag that has a card that has some notes that you can take on it, just like Mason's got right there, so you can get that out. And I'm going to need your help, Barrett. I'm going to need your help telling the story, okay? So I'm going to ask you some questions, all right? All right. You're way too excited. It must be Christmas. Hey, uh, many of you who know me know that I'm a runner. Uh, I like to consider myself an athlete, but I've recently taken on a new challenge that has really tested my abilities as an athlete. Uh, I was invited, I've been invited to go run in Africa next year with World Vision, uh, to go run a 56-mile ultramarathon. No, I'm not crazy. Uh, Yes, it's 56 miles in one day, uh, and it's going to be fun. It's a dream race, a race that I've dreamed about for many years called Comrades. But when I ran a marathon this fall, I realized that I may have the cardiovascular fitness to run 56 miles, but I'm not nearly strong enough. And so I've started in the last few weeks doing CrossFit. How many of you know what CrossFit is? Yeah, okay. We've got some CrossFit. Hey, Tori, how are you? Good to see you. Um, and so here's the thing. Uh, CrossFit is this weird combination of gymnastics and weightlifting and, and cardiovascular workouts, and it's, it's crazy. It's nuts. Uh, but when you go the first two weeks, they kind of put you in the little kids' class to learn how to do all the movements. They, they give you a piece of PVC pipe and teach you how to do all the movements. Like, I can't lift a PVC pipe, right? And so I'm an athlete. Come on. Like, but they teach you all the movements, and then you get to move up after you've safely mastered these movements to the big boy class. I call it the big boy class. And one of the first things they like you to do when you get to the big boy class is to figure out how much weight you can lift in certain movements. And so the first week I was there, they wanted to figure out how much weight can you back squat. Now, that's, you put a bar, barbell on your back, uh, as much weight as you can, and you just squat down and you go back up, right? Real easy. And I was excited because I got a personal best in my back squat my very first week at CrossFit. And uh, I was excited, and I was walking over to write that on the board. And as I walked, I walked by my friend Aaron, and my friend Aaron had a bar, and there was uh, 10 pounds more than I had. But Aaron didn't just do it once. Aaron was going up and down and up and down and up and down. And I was like, maybe I don't fit in here. And you might think, well, 10 pounds is not really a big deal. And you're right, 10 pounds is not really a big deal. But the problem is that Aaron is a high school girl. (laughs) And she's about five foot two, and uh, she was out squatting me, and I thought, I don't know if I belong here. And so why am I telling you that story? Well, because only to acknowledge that tonight, I know that some of you are in this room, and you just don't really feel like you belong here. You're not really a church person. You maybe only come on Christmas or Easter, and I just want you to know that you're welcome, that we are so glad that you're here. And then there's others in this room that maybe, uh, like this year hasn't gone exactly how you planned. Would anybody say that this year hasn't gone how I expected? Yeah, a lot of us, right? This year hasn't gone how I expected either. I just want you to know that, that Jesus understands you. 
Like that Jesus did not really fit in with his society. Jesus was not what people expected. And and I know for sure with the number of people we have here today that that there are things that happen in your life this year that you didn't expect. Some of you uh, are, are job hunting right now and you never expected to be job hunting this time of year. Some of you are going through a divorce or or you're separated, and you thought your marriage was different, and you never thought that you'd end up separated or divorced, and especially not around the holidays. I know some of you would say, I didn't plan on having a medical battle this year. I didn't plan on having this struggle with my kids this year. I didn't plan on switching schools this year, or I didn't plan on having such bad grades this year, or I never thought I would be fighting an addiction this year. And then I know some people in our church are facing Christmas with, I'll just call it the empty chair, Like there's somebody you thought would be around at Christmas, but now you know that they won't. And when things happen that we don't expect, it can really shake us up, can't it? They can can test our faith. We can start to ask questions like, where are you, God? Like, what are you up to? Why are you letting this happen to me? And so what I hope I can do tonight is encourage you. I want you to know that Jesus is a guy that didn't really fit in with the mold that society expected. And what we'll see right from the beginning is that the story of the birth of Jesus is a story about things not going exactly to plan. You know, we're finishing up this series tonight called Good News, and we've taken this title from Luke chapter 2, where an angel appears to the shepherds in the fields around Bethlehem. You saw it in the video a couple minutes ago, and it says this, the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The angel says that the birth of Jesus is good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And so the last two weeks, we've talked about why is the birth of Jesus good news? And Jerry was here last week and talked about why it should cause great joy. And so tonight, uh, I wanna talk about why the birth of Jesus is truly good news for all the people. It's good news if you're here and you don't feel like you fit in. It's good news if you're here and this year hasn't gone exactly how you expected. This momentous event in history that literally divided time, all of history is divided into what happened before this event and what happened after this event, B.C. and A.D. This momentous event in history that we celebrate every December 25th is for all the people. And so the birth of Jesus starts with a young woman, a child probably between the ages of 13 and 19. And kids, if you've got your note card out, you'll know that it says on there, the the birth of Jesus starts with a young woman named what? Mary. Mary, thank you very much. And here's how it happens. Luke 1.26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now Elizabeth is a relative of Mary, probably a cousin, although we don't know for sure. Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, correct? The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. That's good news, right? He says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus and he will be great and be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So Mary gets this gift, this gift of an angel appearing to her and says, you're gonna have a baby and the baby is gonna be called the son of God and the baby is God's gift to you. But it's not exactly the gift that Mary expected. I wonder how many of you in the room have ever gotten a gift that you didn't expect. 
<laughs> maybe it was a good, I hear some laughter. Maybe it was a good thing. Maybe it was a gift that uh, you didn't know that you had it coming. It wasn't Christmas or your birthday, but you got a gift that was completely unexpected. Maybe uh, it was something that wasn't quite the way you expected. Like you had asked for the name brand of something, but your parents got you the generic one and they thought it was just as good. You know what I mean? And it's not just not the same thing, right? Well, I had a gift I remember from my childhood that I wanted more than anything else. When I was a kid, I was a serious collector of comic books. I know I'm so cool now. You can't believe that I was ever a nerd, right? But I was a serious comic book collector. And one year, the only gift I wanted for Christmas was a copy of Iron Man number one. And I knew, I was pretty confident I wasn't going to get Iron Man number one because I saw it hanging in the comic book shop the week before, and it was $40. Now, if you had that book today, it's about $1,400, um, but it was $40, and so I was pretty sure my dad wouldn't get it for me. And so uh, we Christmas morning, I woke up, I, I got up under the tree, started opening my gifts, and I got a stack of comic books, and I kind of went through them, and, but no Iron Man number one, and I got through all my gifts, and I just had one gift under the tree, and it was in a box about like this. And, you know, sometimes parents do that thing where they wrap the little gift in the big box, you know that? So I thought, oh, maybe, yeah, this is it. This is going to be exciting. And I opened it, and it was a box, and it was a, a little robotic arm that they sell at Radio Shack. And I know that they sell it at Radio Shack because my uncle worked at Radio Shack, and I know my dad got a discount on it when he bought it at Radio Shack. It was not the gift that I expected. And so my dad said, what did you think of your gift? Well, it's my dad. What am I going to say? I said, oh, yeah, it's great, Dad. He said, well, open it. Well, I'll, I'll open it later. I want to play with some other stuff first. And he goes, you should, you should really open it and look at it. And so I open this robotic arm, and I take the lid, and I throw it over my head, and I look, and I go, yeah, it's a, it's a little robotic arm. That's, that's cool, Dad. Thanks. And he goes, look in the box. And so I grab the lid of the box, and in the top of the box is Iron Man number one. And I was so excited. I was so, it was like a gift that I did not expect. But Mary gets this gift that she doesn't expect, and she's kind of like, uh, but how will this be? I don't understand. We're not even married yet. In other words, what Mary is really saying is, this is not exactly what I expected. And the angel answered, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One will to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she was, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Now that'll preach right there. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So in the end, Mary cooperates. One of the things I love about this story is the way that Mary just accepts this calling that God puts on her life. And one of the things I love about our church is that some of you in this room are just like that. Like God says something to you, and maybe you struggle for a minute. Maybe you have a question. You ask some questions, but then in the end, you just go along with it. And I am so jealous of you. Because then on the other hand, there's some of us that are a little more hard-headed than Mary was, right? And in this, in this case, uh, there's a man in the picture. And the man's name is what, kids? Joseph. Yes, the man's name is Joseph. Mary's only part of the story because there's the fiancé, Joseph. And he's a little tougher to convince. We can see this story back in Matthew, in Matthew 1. Matthew 1.18, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, you have to know that Mary told Joseph the story, right? 
I mean, the whole angel appearing and Elizabeth's pregnant and the angel says, you're, you're highly favored, that you're blessed by God and you're going to have a baby and it's going to be from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you and you're going to have a baby and you'll name him Jesus. And she had this whole thing happen and Gabriel was there and she had to tell Joseph about it. You just don't keep that kind of thing to yourself, right? So if you're, you've got a fiance and, and he's going to notice that like the belly's growing after, over time, so he's, she's going to have to tell him the story and you know that if she's going to tell him the story about how she got pregnant, she's going to tell him about the angel and Gabriel, and, and Jesus, and the, it's the Son of God part, right? So jo- Joseph knew this, but it's not what he expected. See, Joseph seemed to have some unrealistic expectation that when he got engaged, that he would be the father of Mary's children. And that's not quite how it's going to work. So he decides to be done. He, he's going to do it nicely. He's going to go about it in a nice way. He'll divorce her quietly so that her reputation stays intact, but, but still, he's out. And Joseph's going to be publicly humiliated if that happens. I mean, that's bad. But think about Mary, too, because Mary will be a divorced woman. I mean, she said, I'm all in to whatever God has for me. But even though they weren't married, they were legally engaged to be married. They would have to go through a divorce to be separate. And and so Mary's going to be basically a divorced woman. She's damaged goods in that culture. A single mom, her life would totally be over. A single mom in a culture where it's almost impossible for a woman to get a job anyway, let alone a mom who's trying to raise a son. And you know that's not what she planned. But God looks down on their plight and he hears their cries and he intercedes. Verse 20, Matthew 1, 20. But after he had considered this, after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Now, if this were a movie, this is the part where the music would change from the minor keys and start to build to a crescendo, right? It's the part where the the screen would go from dark to light, and Mary and Joseph would saddle up on their donkey or camel or golf cart or whatever, and and ride off into the sunset, a happy couple. But this isn't the movies. This is a real-life story about real-life people and something that really happened to them, a historical account. And so instead, what happens is the government calls for a census. And instead of riding off into the sunset, they have to ride off to Bethlehem. Now, let's not make the mistake of thinking this was a nice little family reunion and they're going to get together for the weekend and have dinner with Joseph's parents before they go off and live their lives. Uh, The census, we talked about it a little bit week one of this series, but I wanted to read you this. This is from the historian Lactanius about 300 years after Christ. It says this about the census. Uh, Lactanius says this, The greatest public calamity and general sorrow was the census imposed on the provinces and cities. The census takers appeared everywhere and produced a tumult wherever they went. The fields were measured clod by clod. Every grapevine and fruit tree counted. Every head of livestock of every kind was listed. The exact number of people noted. And in the autonomous cities, the urban and rural population were herded together until the marketplaces were filled with the collected families. All came with their whole band of children and slaves. Now, that's kind of what you expect for a census, right? We're going to get everybody together. We're going to count the people. We're going to count the things. We're going to add it all up and see what we can tax. But here's where it goes wrong. Everywhere was heard the screaming 
of those who were being interrogated with torture and beatings. Sons were forced to testify against their fathers, the trustiest slaves driven to bear witness against their masters and wives against their husbands. When all other means had been exhausted, the victims were tortured until they gave evidence against themselves. And when pain had at last conquered, taxable property that did not exist was registered. And so this is what Mary and Joseph are walking into as they go together to his hometown of Bethlehem, about 100 miles from where they live in Nazareth. And they make this long trip, a young man with his eight and three-quarter months pregnant fiance, and they get to town, and when they finally arrive, there's no room for them in town. Now, Luke, the historian of the four Gospels, Luke uh, says there's no room at the inn. The NIV, we translate that word as inn, but the word that Luke uses there is actually uh, the Greek word kataluma, and Cataluma translates better as a guest room. And the way this works is that uh, most homes in Bethlehem would have been built over a cave. There were lots of caves and underground tunnels in Bethlehem, uh, natural caves. And many people would build their home over a cave, and they would have two rooms in the main area of their home, one which would be the sleeping quarters for the rest of the family, and the other would be a multipurpose room which could serve as a guest room. That room was called a Cataluma. And so all of the homes would have had some space for guests, uh, And then underneath would be the cave, and the cave would be where they kept the livestock. And so think less JW Marriott and more Airbnb, all right? So we're looking for a room in somebody's house. But even with that, I wonder how many of you have ever, like, booked a vacation from a picture you saw online in a brochure, and you got there, and it wasn't exactly what you were expecting? You know what I'm talking about? Well, that's what we're going to see here. There's no room in any human accommodations for Mary and Joseph. And it may be because there are so many people in Bethlehem for the census. I mean, they all came to Bethlehem. You heard that they were herded into the squares. Or it could be that the host, maybe a family member or maybe a patriarch of the town, takes one look at this couple, and he sees their condition, and he knows the story, that they're not married, and she's pregnant, and she's going to have a baby, and he just doesn't want that kind of reputation in the town for housing those kind of people. Or it could be simply that he sees that Mary's pregnant and she's probably going to have a baby while she's there. And when a woman had a baby, the baby would be unclean, the woman would be unclean, and anything that that the, the, the birth touched would be unclean. And why would you have something that's going to be unclean in your home when you've got so many other guests when it's just easier to put them in a place that's already unclean, which would be with the animals? And so they go not in a home, not in a guest room, but likely we say a barn or a stable sometimes, but it's more likely a cave where the wildlife lived, the the luxurious honeymoon suite that every bride dreams of, right? In a cave with the animals. Once again, this is not what they expected. But while they were there, while they were in Bethlehem, and we don't know how long that was, but while they were there, this baby is born, and they name him what, kids? Jesus. Jesus. They name him Jesus, and he's perfect. I mean, he's perfect. Like, you know how moms and dads, sometimes they see their baby, and they say, oh, he's so perfect. This baby's literally perfect. Like he literally grows up perfect. He's literally perfect in every way. And they get all these visitors and they get all these gifts. And for a while, these young, this young couple is really blessed. But then another angel appears. This angel appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him that Herod, the king, is in the area. And he's looking for Jesus. And he's going around and he's killing all of the newborn boys to try to get to Jesus and they have to leave. And so they get up and they flee to Egypt. They leave his family's hometown of Bethlehem and they go to Egypt, not what they were expecting. 
But then they get a visitation from another angel. After some time, uh, the, they finally get word that the coast is clear, and they go back to Joseph's hometown of Nazareth, which is up further north in England. And Jesus grows up, and he learns the family trade. And Mary and Joseph have more sons and daughters, but somehow Jesus is different. We just get this indication from Scripture that Jesus is different. And somewhere along the line, as Jesus is growing up, Joseph probably passes away. We don't ever see Joseph when Jesus is an adult. And Jesus probably becomes the patriarch of the family. He, we often see Jesus with his mother and brothers traveling together. He doesn't really fit in with his siblings because he's more like a father than a brother. And in fact, here's what the Old Testament predicted about Jesus. Here's, here's what his life would be like in Psalm 69, uh, 7. It says this, For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who, you, who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, the people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of the drunkards. Is this really what we think of when we think of Jesus? You know, that he was an outsider, that he, that he didn't fit in, that his brothers and sisters didn't really know him, that the drunkards made fun of him. That's not the kind of king that we expect, Right? But that's the reality of the Son of God. That's him. He was an outcast. He didn't fit in. That's not what we expected. And Jesus grows up. He grows in wisdom and stature and in favor with men and with God. And he becomes an adult, but he doesn't become a carpenter like everyone expects. Instead, he becomes a rabbi, this itinerant teacher, this traveling teacher going around Israel and teaching Scripture. And he, he starts to make some people mad with the way he's teaching. Here's this guy and uh, from this little town called Nazareth where nothing good ever happens. We hear that in Scripture. And he's claiming to be the Son of God, and he's healing people, and he's teaching with such power and authority, and he's not at all what people expected the Messiah to look like. So they get mad, and they come up with this plot to kill him. But you know, the whole time this is happening, Jesus never lashes out. He never raises a hand against his enemies. He, he's always loving He's never hating. Correcting, yes, but never hate. And then as he grows up, and as he comes to the end of his ministry, he's betrayed by one of his very closest friends. And he's turned over to the ruling council, and he's tried, but found not guilty, but punished anyway. And he's painfully flogged. And a crown of thorns is shoved on his head. And he's stripped naked. And he's nailed to a cross and left to die. And who's standing there at the foot of the cross while Jesus is breathing his last breaths, looking down on her? It's his mother Mary. She's got a few more wrinkles now. Her black hair is ragged and tinged with hints of gray. She's got a few stretch marks. Her face is streaked with tears as she watches her oldest son die. And you know she's got to be thinking, this is not at all what I expected. And as Jesus sucks in his last painful breath, he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as he says that, he's talking about the people there. He's talking about the ones that, that made fun of him, the ones that tortured him, the ones that nailed him to the cross. Yes, he's talking to them, but, but he could also be talking to us. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Because we mess up, don't we? 
We turn away from God. We don't understand why we do it or how we turn away from God. But at the moment, even as he hung on the cross, even as he breathed his last, Jesus knew. He knew that we would walk away from him. He knew that we needed forgiveness. And he offered it freely. And that's just not what we expect. Forgiveness is offered for all people. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you will do. The forgiveness of Jesus is available to you. It doesn't matter if your life has turned out exactly like you hoped or if it's nothing at all like you expected. Jesus can relate. And he loves you. And he died the death that you deserve so that you could be made right with God. And so maybe you walked in here tonight thinking, I sure didn't expect cancer. I didn't expect depression. I didn't expect to attend a funeral. I didn't expect to have to bail him out or bail her out. I didn't expect to be alone. Or maybe, maybe the mess you find yourself in is completely, totally, 100% your fault. Like, while you never expected to find yourself here, you can look back and you can see exactly where the decisions you made and where they went wrong. And you think, there's no way I can get back into a right relationship with God. Ah, but see, that's where you're wrong. Because Luke says the birth of Jesus is good news of great joy for all people, for everyone. If you are people, that includes you. Romans 8 says, for I am convinced that neither life, death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What can separate us from God's love? Nothing. But still, maybe you don't feel it. Maybe you don't feel like you fit in. Maybe you, your life is not like you expected and you think, God, why would you allow this to happen to me? You, you might be thinking, I really have no idea what to do next. It may be that your very next step is to get right with God. You can make a decision tonight that can radically change the course of the rest of your life. I know because it did for mine. See, there was a time in my life when I was angered easily, when all I did was chase success and money. But then I made the decision to allow Jesus to rule my life. And I have been amazed by the difference it's made. Do you have a story like that? You could. See, the birth of Jesus is good news of great joy for all the people. Colossians 1 says it this way, says that God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I was living in darkness. God brought me into light. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're caught up in. It doesn't matter if your life hasn't gone how you expected. Christmas means the God who created you and loves you sent his son to rescue you from the dominion of darkness, from a life of hopelessness. Yes, even you. The birth of Jesus is good news for you if you allow it to be. Let's pray together. And as we pray, I just wanna pray that passage from Colossians 1. 
God, I ask you to fill us with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that your spirit gives so that we may live a life worthy of you, our Lord, and please you in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of you, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience. Oh God, we need great endurance and patience. We need great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to you, the Father, who has qualified us to share in the adherence of your holy people in the kingdom of light. For you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son you love in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God, I am so thankful for that truth tonight. I am thankful because I know that without the cross, the manger is meaningless that without the death and the resurrection, the birth has no value. But God, because your son came and lived a perfect life and died the death that we deserve to die, and then you raised him from the dead, because of that, Lord, we celebrate his birth at Christmas time. We celebrate the fact that that is good news of great joy for all the people. We pray these things in Jesus' name.